0: And the season is over, just like that. After KD drilled a near-game-winning shot, the Nets ran out of gas in OT, dropping Game 7 to the Bucks. Was this year a disappointment? Is it now championship or bust next season? And what do the Nets need to do to get over the top? We'll chat with a friend of the program, Yes Network and ESPN play-by-play man, Ryan Rucco, and we'll help console some of you as well on the season finale a full court on Flatbush from the New York Post.
1: The next stop is
2: our police center. Full court on Flatbush.
0: Flatbush
2: it's the podcast, a New York Post.
3: BK. Most stars in the sky. Three. It's going. Brooklyn Nets. Take them to the sick baseline.
0: Welcome back to what is, unfortunately, the season finale of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post, as the Nets season has come to an end. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, Nets legend, Carrie Kittles. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, during the show as well. You can catch up on all the episodes you might have missed this season by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. While you're there, subscribe to the New York Post Mets and Yankees podcast, which drop new episodes Mondays and Thursdays. Amazing But True with Jake Brown and former Met Nelson Figueroa, and Pinstripe Pod with Chris Sheeran and Yankees great Jeff Nelson. And finally, follow the crew on Twitter for updates on the show in the offseason at Robin Lundberg, at Carrie underscore Kittles 30, and at Jake Brown Radio. We truly appreciate your support in our first season of Full Court. On Flatbush. Our next episode should be dropping following the NBA draft and before free agency coming up in July. But first, Kerry, and before we get to Ryan Rucco, who'll be joining the show, it's hard to even get my head around the fact that the the season is over, first of all.
2: It's the same here. I have those same exact feelings with the way that they went out this year, with the high expectations. Obviously, they were dealing with a lot with the injuries and losing some of their key players. But um, yeah, you know, I, I thought that they would figure out a way of beating the Bucks and advancing, and um, you know, it just just wasn't in their cards this year.
0: Yeah, I can almost hear the the sadness in your voice. I mean, it, it is sad in in a way. But I'll tell you this much, Carrie, and I get it. I, I work in this industry. I know how it goes. And when the Harden trade went down, everything became championship or bust, right? Like every sports columnist wrote the same thing: it's championship or bust for the Nets. Anything else would be an epic failure. I don't consider this season a failure. In, in some ways, I consider it a success. I was in the building for that game, for Game 7. And I was proud of the way that the team played. I was proud the way the team played in this series. And my fandom became even stronger as a result of, of the way they played. And, and I don't think I'm, I'm alone. I, I was with a couple people, you know, that wanted to be at a Game 7. One of them left the diehard Nets fan. Went to the team store immediately. Got the Got the gear. The arena, Barclays Center. I've never heard it like that. Like that was the kind of night that builds a, a fan base. And, and when I say it's not an epic failure, it's because I have a brain, right? Like my my brain works. I can process context. It would be one thing if the big three was out there and healthy and they lost. Yeah, that would be embarrassing. They weren't. James Harden was playing on a grade two hamstring strain. I don't know how he played all those minutes. He's on one leg. Kyrie Irving is out, and Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant probably did more for his career in that series loss than I think he did in, in winning championships.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you can draw a lot of positives from from what we've seen this year. I, I think just like the vast majority of NBA teams had to deal with a lot of uncertainty, A lot of adversity, changes and lineups and, you know, guys being in and out with with health concerns throughout the league. So, yeah, I think if you're going to be positive, yeah, there's a lot to draw from from that experience. You know, I I think, you know, if the Nets are healthy, right, like we, we don't have this conversation. We don't feel the way we feel. We have... You know, something to really look forward to. But with all these health injuries uh, across the league and, you know, teams decimated with without their key players, you know, it's, it's hard to find some some solace in it all, right? Like, I feel like I, I want to draw more out of it. Um, obviously, Kevin Durant's performance was legendary throughout the series, you know, with all the pressures of having to put the team on your back and, you know, guys being out Guys not playing well, who should be playing well, you know. But yeah, it's uh, it's, it's definitely difficult for me to swallow. I, I I think you know, it's uh, it's just hard, man. It's just hard to figure it all out. I, I do have a brain, like, like <laughs> you, you try to process and con- contextualize everything that was thrown at you, and it's just it's just hard to swallow.
1: I disagree with you, Robin, in this sense, is that the Nets still were on the precipice of winning that game. Joe Harris goes 3-for-10 from the field. There's an APB out for him. He's missing. There's a missing <laughs> persons report. He was terrible when he makes $18 million a year. Jeff Green only played 12 minutes, had zero points. The role players did nothing, yet they still, they basically won by two, forget the last two free throws. They still should have won that game, so I get what you're saying. There's some positives to take, but they still should have won that game, should have won that series, and should be playing Atlanta for a spot in the NBA finals.
0: Should have? I mean, I don't know. I mean, game five, should they have won game five? Probably not, right? Like, you could play that game both ways. The Milwaukee Bucks are a hell of a basketball team. You know, Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, for all the flack he takes, you know, he's not like other superstars, but other superstars don't what, do what he does either. Chris Middleton's a legit star now. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, the, the mid-range game, his ability to hit shots. You know, the Bucks are a good team. So I want to give credit to them before I, I sit here and woe is me, the Nets. You're right. You know, they had chances to win. There's plenty of things you could go back and look at. Kevin Durant's foot, you know, if his, if his toe is back an inch or two, the Nets win that game. Joe Harris and the wide open look. That he had it's multiple overdone. wide open
1: looks. Yes. Well, multiple. I, I want to get
0: to him and I want to get to him in a second. The opportunities the Nets had in OT when they went up two and they had the ball with, with several chances to extend that lead and, and they didn't do it. After James Harden hit the three with the shot clock winding down with a couple minutes left in regulation, and Middleton on, answered with a three on the other side. But that was the best basketball game. That was the best sporting event I've ever attended. And coming out of it, knowing the injury context, with any take other than respect for both of those teams, is kind of weird to me. It it is, because we we know like what happened to Hart. You know what happened to Kyrie. Spencer did what he's out on top of that. Jeff Green, who you mentioned, he's hurt too. He just came back from from an injury. And, And people like to use this word, excuses, Oftentimes, I hate the way that that word is used because what I'm not, what I'm saying is not excuses. Those are explanations. Those are things that happen.
2: Yeah, and also too, you look at the Bucks. They were a very good team. I had this series going seven, even if the three stars were healthy. I, I just the Bucks are really, really good. I think don't underestimate how that team has been put together and and how they have complementary pieces around Giannis now. Holiday didn't play great in that series. Giannis didn't make free throws. I mean, they had some ifs, too, if you want to throw ifs out there or excuses, whatever you want to call them, on both sides. So, you know, I mean, it's just got to give the Bucks credit. They they grinded hard. They kept themselves in the game, you know, on the road where they hadn't played well in, in, in those other two, you know, three games. So, I mean, I don't know. It's They're a very good team, and I, they're definitely going to get past – the Hawks. I mean, I, I got that going four or five at best.
0: It hurts. I mean, it hurts because you still had the chances. Like like Jake said, I, my takeaway is to come away and say, oh, what I saw was bad or or I, I need to blame people. Um, Blame, there's a definition of it I like, which is a, a way to discharge pain and discomfort because you need to put that somewhere. Right. So you always have to blame someone. And, and you know, Carrie, you had texted me earlier about this thread I put out on, on Twitter yesterday and part of that i think is is that the nba discourse is poisoned a little bit you know the way lebron has been covered over the years i think legit makes has made people insane because you've got you know a couple of people who just have made their living just creating these unfair crazy standards and then you have LeBron fans are saying why don't you hold everybody to those standards and then you you mix in other factors you know Knicks fans dancing on the Nets grave all that all that stuff as far as the blame that may go around I don't know where where I go because the number one blame is injury you could point out certain things you could nitpick Steve Nash I guess should he have gone to Landry Shamit over Joe Harris but if Steve Nash doesn't ride KD they don't have a chance like and, and you know Durant loves Nash, I'm going to wear this. Uh, shout out to Bayside Yankees on Twitter. Who sent me a you know, the classic edition Durant jersey after that performance, I'm gonna wear Durant's jersey every day this summer.
2: Yeah. It's plenty of BAME to go around. I mean, like you said, you know, the, the, the Nets they have to look at what they've done. You know, they, they've did what they had to do to put themselves there in that position to have a chance to win that game. And, and, you know, Nash did a very good job. I thought of using Durant and using Harden when playing on one leg. I mean, I've never seen that before besides you go back in history, you could find guys that really got out a true injury and, and play through it. I mean, Anthony Davis played one minute. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I see this as a as a good starting point. I mean, you look at the big three when they went down to Miami and they got together that first year, they didn't win it all. And everyone was like, I'm... and they were younger in their prime. So and they were all healthy and they still lost. I guess this is a year of 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 filling things out with these guys and having to, you know, find better pieces to put around them. I mean, they had some key pieces this year, but they still were missing some obviously, right? So find better pieces and then next year their year to have all those high expectations of this team winning it all.
0: Real quick before we get to next year, uh, I'm going to touch on two things. You mentioned James Harden, carry and the, the hamstring that he was playing through. As a former player who's dealt with those kind of injuries, can you can you sort of illuminate to the audience a little bit how exactly limiting that was? Because you could see it, you know, with your eyes, this isn't the James Harden we're normally seeing. He wouldn't accelerate, shot was off, but but how difficult was it for him to go out there and play as many minutes as he as he did with, the, with that hamstring strain?
2: Yeah, that's a grade two strain on your lower leg and you're a professional athlete playing against the top basketball players in the world. On one leg? Played four games in this series? I mean, my hat's off to him. You know, he he gutted it out. He gave his best. And like you said, all those things matter in the Nets having a chance to win. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, that's to me, that just shows his will and, and how he just, you know, self-sacrificing for the betterment of the team, in a situation where he could have easily put his feet up and said, you know what, guys, I'm injured. I'm sorry, I can't go. Mike James, here's your chance.
1: My only worry is, like, he shot 12 threes, and if he's playing on one leg and hurt, should he have... I mean, obviously, not many other role players were doing much of anything, and it was the Durant show, but should he have been shooting that much, knowing that he wasn't at his best, or does he have just no choice? He's a
2: confident scorer. He's led the league in scoring before. If he makes a couple, maybe he's thinking... I could make more than a couple. So you have to give yourself a chance, unlike Ben Simmons, who didn't even take a shot in the fourth quarter the whole series. So, I mean, this guy is confident, right? So you're going to take a few shots. It wasn't like he took 20 shots on one leg. I mean, he's out there playing. He's going to be open a few times. So, yeah, give it a go.
0: And you have to be a threat, too. like Or right. else the, the Bucks are going to uh, drop off you, right? Um, it, it, like they you know, did, uh, say, a Bruce Brown in, in the series, who, who played well in that game, by the way, and gave the Nets everything you could ask for. Harden also hit the 1-3. The Toward the end of the game, again, credit to Bucs. Middleton responded. The Bucs kept responding throughout the series. The Bucs response at the start of the second half in that game took the spirit a little bit because it looked like the, the Nets had it. The one guy, and I said we'd get back to him, the one guy who deserves some real blame is Joe Harris. Joe Harris is the one guy who came up small. He, right he came up le- legitimately small. You know, he gets paid a lot of money. To do not just one thing, but one thing in particular, and he didn't even do that well. He did not play well across the board, and he probably put himself into the trade machine.
2: Uh, he probably did. I mean, I hate to say that, but you're building a championship team. You got to have guys that can make big shots, right? In a moment that when it when it matters the most, right? You look at his numbers for the series, seven games, he averaged nine points, shot 34% from the field and 32 from three. For a guy averaged 14 in the regular season shot, I mean, 50-some percent from both, right? So you can't have that. I mean, you look at all the great teams, we discussed this early on. Yes, the big three, and usually when the when the superstars are healthy, they're going to show up because they know they have the confidence to, to get it done. But it's those complementary pieces that we, we still didn't know about, right, heading into the postseason. Can those guys show up? If Jeff Green is healthy, yes. I think Jeff Green shows up. Obviously, if Spencer Dinwiddie is healthy, yes, Spencer shows up because he's built for those moments. But there are others that I had concerns about. I had concerns about Harris. I had concerns about Shamit. Could those guys really show up to help the big three and allow the big three to do what they do well when teams are keen in on them?
0: Yeah, and, you know, Milwaukee's physicality bothered Harris. But on top of that, he, he had open looks. And, and I don't know if that was in his head. Uh, just a bat poorly timed slump, but it's the kind of thing, you know, all's forgiven if he hits that one in, in overtime, All, all's almost forgiven. But instead he comes out as, as the fall guy for the series, because as Kerry's mentioned in the big three, right? Like it's one thing if they're whole That takes some of the pressure off him. It takes some of the the need for him away.
2: Of course, and he gets more open looks just naturally, right? You're not going to leave Kyrie and Harden when those guys are healthy and playing well, so you're going to stay home on those two guys. So Harris, even though he took some shots in the series, he didn't get as many open looks as I would have liked to have seen him get, which kind of frees him up a little bit. Plus, he's driving in the lane, and you have a seven-footer in the lane who's going to contest shots because you have Bruce Brown out there or you have – you know Blake Griffin out there, so now Lopez is lingering around the basket. His
1: stat line was embarrassing. I mean, 10 points, 9 points, 5 points, 8 points, 3 points, these last 5 games, that is just inexcusable. I'm so mad at it. Watching that game, I'm like, God damn it. I loved Joe Harris all season. He's the 3-point shooting contest. He's the best 3-point shooter in the league, and he just fell flat on his face come playoff time, and man, that's frustrating when you need role players to step up. Call yeah, he's the,
0: he, he's the one guy that swung the series. I mean, he's the one guy you can justly say didn't come up, you know, I- I- in the moment. Everybody else, I'm, I'm cool with. I, I'm, you know, like again, I have pride in the way that Blake Blake Griffin played great.
2: Blake Griffin played great, and and Bruce Brown. I mean, geez, his effort, even though he can't really make shots right now. I mean, he's he impacts the game when he's out there. You know, he's out there.
0: And, and Kevin Durant played 48 minutes every game. I mean, like you, you have to put that into context what this guy. Did people talk about? You know, uh, I, I was. I've said uh, of recent times that I I think given where LeBron's at in his career and his injury, that the the best player in the world title was officially up for grabs, and and I thought it was a contest. Kevin Durant reached up there and and, and grabbed the the belt down. He put it around his waist in in this playoff series. He is the reigning world champion best player in the league right now, and he plays for the Brooklyn Nets. To be honest, I I think because of where he's at in his career and and the way his career went, you know, OKC, and, and, and he was a fan favorite, gets an MVP, but does leave for Golden State. People don't like it because of the 73-win team. I I think there's a real chance, Kerry, when it's all said and done, KD's going to be remembered as a Brooklyn net more than anything.
2: Yeah, you're, you're right about that. I think what he did in this series, in particular, right? I mean, he, you know, he dominated the Celtics as well, but against the Bucks, you know, against Giannis, guy his size, the expectations now, right, the pressures of, of getting it done. I mean, my, putting the team on his back, and everyone's like, oh, can he do it without whatever, without Curry and, and the cast? Oh yeah, he can do it. I mean, you know, Finals MVP. But you ain't put him on any team, the guy gets it done. He's comp- he's a competitor, and he's built for those big moments. I mean, the shots he was making under, like you were saying, the physicality of the Bucks and how it ramped up in the playoffs. That was that was '90s basketball. Right? I I could watch that all day long. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't the frill, you know, stand behind the line, just jacking up threes, you know, dribble handoffs. That was old school basketball, and you saw guys getting into guys, and. and <laughs> Tucker was in his skin the entire series. Uh, you know, he's a smaller guy, but Durant is made for it, man. I mean, he has a ton of respect for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, Tucker uh, played him about as well as you could play him. I mean, even uh, Kevin Durant's mom was like, it's not football, right? I mean, he, he was he was mugging him out there. But again, respect to the Bucks. But when I mean, you do look forward for a second carry, you, you go, oh yeah, he's on our team. And, and that's a big aspect of it. And, and I think, uh, like I said before, I think if you walked in a casual, you may have left a fan. If you were a fan you may have become a diehard and now you almost don't even feel like you're bandwagoning it. if you're one of those people as well because they lost and have to go in the next season but it's why I always like I I, I was fine with the championship or bust thing because of the big three whatever but I always sort of scoffed at it only because when you're building a franchise and when you're putting together a team what you're trying to do is contend you know for a, as many times as you can for as long as you can, right? And I expect these guys to sign extensions. The idea that the window has closed on the Nets is foolish. In fact, their their best opportunity will probably be next season. And yeah, it would be it would really hurt if they don't win it win it all next season but the the window for this team to win a championship is the next two to five
2: years you're absolutely right I think the future looks bright for the Nets and they gotta have to figure out some players right you know the Harris thing is gonna be an issue and you know obviously Dinwiddie's opting out what's gonna happen with Dinwiddie because I think Dinwiddie is a real key piece to what they have and then the bigs right I mean you give up Jared Allen you know you try to find someone you know we didn't see DeAndre Jordan at all in the postseason I don't know what's going on with that situation there so they gotta figure out some other pieces but I mean wow these three guys in their prime. If they're healthy, yes, it is championship robust, because I think what they can do offensively, those three guys, and how they gel together, and how they're unselfish, and how they want to play together, if they are healthy, the expectation is championship. I mean, yes, the complementary pieces do matter. Obviously, we saw that, right? But I think if those three guys are healthy guys, I mean, you're, you're so right. Now, thinking back to this series, I missed game five. I wasn't in the arena for game five, but I was there for game seven, and wow, what an experience as a former Nets. To, to be able to, to see Why my Why can't Kevin, Kevin
1: Durant's shoe size be two sizes smaller? I mean, that looked like a three. How close? I mean, he was ready. He was backing up. He wanted it. That place rocked. I'll say that and the Giannis free throw countdown. I've been to a World Series. I've been to championships. That was one of the most electric things ever. When it hit 13 seconds and when he would miss, that place absolutely erupted. So shout out to the Nets fans who uh, brought the energy this series.
0: Yeah, that was one of the coolest fan experiences I've ever been a part of, the, the, the count. And, and if you want to spin it the other way, you know, when you talk about how good the team could be next year, Kerry, you have to look at where they were this year. Kevin Durant's in there, of course, but Kyrie's out. Sprains his ankle real bad. James Harden's on one leg. Spencer Dinwiddie is out. Jeff Green is dealing with a, a nagging injury. Joe Harris, who's, I, I, I'd have to check their payroll, but he's got to be their fourth highest paid player, right? G- is non existent in the series. And they barely lost to a team that very well could win the NBA championship.
2: Correct. So that's perspective. That's having a brain. <laughs> that's the reality. Fans don't want to hear it. Don't want to debate it. Whatever you want to call it, that's the reality of the situation. So you look at it, go on Twitter and like Robin has this amazing tweet And the responses are just like, I was like, should I respond? Like, no, don't even, they're idiots. Don't even type anything in because they're just idiots. And that's the reality is like the injuries do play a role in sports, period. We've seen it across every sports. uh, And the Nets were (laughs) unfortunately dealing with awful timing of some key players that would have made a huge difference in the outcome of that series. Period. There's no debate. That's and you just is. hope that they're
1: okay, though, because Kyrie has a history of injuries and absences. So what last do you do? Years. Correct.
2: Everyone has a history of, of injuries. Oh, So Steph Curry, right? Early on, he had ankle problems. So what do you do? Do you write him off and say, oh, we don't want Steph Curry on our team when he comes back (laughs) and wins championships and MVPs? Like, no. You deal with it. It's unfortunate. You have medical care. You work around it. You rest, guys. You do all the protocols, and you hope and pray that they're healthy when it matters. You don't say, oh, this guy's injury prone; He can't play. I mean, come on. Embiid was playing this year with a sore knee. What are you doing? He was having a huge impact on that series. You play through it if you can. And hopefully you pray to the guys that they're healthy when it matters. Yeah,
0: and Kyrie's injury prone. He's an injury prone guy who hit a game winning shot in game seven of the NBA finals. Right. And at the same time, the injury he suffered is not an injury prone kind of injury that he suffered in the he didn't break down. He 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 had a bad he had bad luck. James Harden is the opposite of injury prone. That's why it was really bad luck for that. He's never missed time in his entire career. You know,
2: he's played through. So is Jeff Green. He was bulletproof too for how many years? (laughs) Go win a championship
1: next year. That's what I'm, that's all I know you said a five-year window. I want to
2: see them be healthy first, and then we can discuss all the expectations and all that.
0: We'll win a championship next year and the year after. And when I say the window, I'm saying they can win, not to win a title. They can win a title every single year of that window. Whether they will or not remains to be seen, but can they win a championship next year? Yes. Can they win the championship the year after? Yes. Can they win the championship the year after that? Yes. And we'll see how long they can extend their primes of those big three and build around them. But the, the window did not close on the Nets. The window is wide open. The window on the championship this season is what
3: closed.
1: Before Ryan Ruka joins, I want to know, what do they need to get to that point? Do, I mean, Dinwiddie's declining the option. Does him coming back and bringing back this roster, if healthy, equal championship? Is there another piece that you guys are looking at, a big man off the bench, another uh, a shooter from the outside? What do you think is the one thing they need?
2: Can we get Jared Allen back? <laughs> Can we please get Jared? Uh, we need somebody to, to contest around the rim. I mean, I mean, Giannis is dominant. Giannis dominates everybody. But I mean, it's those other easy baskets that guys just drive in there, time after time. Those easy layups, you just can't give those up.
0: Yeah, a, a big. If you could somehow get a competent three and D guy, uh, those those guys always help on the wing for for defense. And DeAndre Jordan's just getting paid ten million dollars a year to be a locker room guy. You know, if you could somehow upgrade that, that would help. What moves? Can they make? We'll get to that next with Ryan Rucco of ESPN and the Yes Network. We're joined now by Yes Network, ESPN play-by-play announcer for the Nets, NBA, WNBA, co-host, the Yankees as well, co-host of the R2C2 podcast on The the Ringer with CC Sabathia, a friend of mine, a friend of the program, his second appearance on the show, Ryan Rucco. And, And Ryan, Jake was a little surprised, at the positive spin I put on things before. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I'm bitterly disappointed, right? right. It hurts. It sucks. They had a chance to win. They could have won the championship. At the same time, I came out of that Game 7 proud of the effort, more entrenched as a fan,
3: and as a lifelong now Kevin Durant stand. Yeah, you know what? I think it, it probably, number one, speaks to your overall demeanor and attitude towards life, which is a good thing, right? And And I try and... I try and be positive as well. But I think there are actual legitimate things there. Like, I don't think what you're saying is trying to put lipstick on a pig, right? Like, I I really believe there are genuine positives here. Look, the, the negative is the reality that this was a shot, right? Like, this was one of the chances. And I remember, Robin, when we hosted, you even talking about that in regard to, I believe it was at the time, the Carmelo Anthony Knicks window um, which was obviously very, very different than than what the Nets are dealing with here. But I remember you saying like, hey, look, it was the first year of it, but it's still one year of it. You know, and I, and I always think back to the 2017 ALCS with the Yankees, where they exceeded expectations. Everybody was like, all right, they're on the up and up. And I remember David Cohn being on the field and being like, yes, that's true. And nobody expected them to be here this year, but – it still was there and it wasn't taken advantage of. And so that's the, that's the reality. That's the sobering, like, ah, feeling. Having said that the positives are this iteration of the team where you make the deal for hard midseason, should always health being, you know, a factor that has to be in place should always have been the worst version of the roster, right? Because you had the least amount of time to augment it around these three guys. Number two, I do think there's something significant to going through trials and battles as a team you know, sort of callousing yourself for a championship run and then further having the fan base invested in the journey as well. And I think that's what you're talking about walking out with. And I do think that's a real thing. And I think as long as they are healthy next year, you will continue to feel the positives that came from the end of this. The most tangible from the basketball game being they played their guts out. You know, they left they left everything out on the floor. And it, it, I thought it was going to be a seven game series when they were totally healthy. Like, going into the series, I was like, this is a seven-game series, totally healthy. So the fact that, you know, they were an inch literally away from winning without having two of their top three players who happened to be Hall of Famers, they had nobody who could break down the defense off the dribble anymore and still got to that place. I do think, like, you know, you have to be reasonable about that and understand that's a lot to still be proud of.
2: Yeah, Ryan, you mentioned health quite a few times there and <laughs> and, and and the injuries were, were definitely something that across the NBA, not just the Nets, uh, in this postseason. What are your thoughts on on that, right? Moving forward, right? You know, you know, we have this tweet that Robin sent out talking about injuries and then everyone's discussing, oh, you have these injury prone superstars. Like, what do you expect, Robin? And it's like, come on, like these guys have been injured. So Throughout their careers, and what what are your thoughts on the injuries and and how the league has has blamed it so far on the shortened offseason from the bubble and and not having enough rest time for these guys, and now they've just put through all of this stress. What are what are your thoughts on this style of play and the injuries that are across the league?
3: First of all, from a Nets perspective, I think it, it further shows how you know the superstar method can really work this time of year, right? Because if you have two of the three guys. You probably are going to the championship, right? Like you're you haven't you you're the finals favorites if two of the three are healthy. You know, the reason they got submarine tier is because they had one and a half of the three. But chances are, you know, knock on wood, like even if one guy goes down for a period of time during the playoffs, the two can keep the ship afloat, which is why I think that you know it, it it works. For it does crack me up, by the way. This is a an aside, but it cracks me up when people say, Well, see, this is the danger of building your team around superstars. And I'm like, okay, well, if you don't, you just don't play this time of year. Or or you're
2: going to say, that oh, this is like a top-heavy team. Like, top-heavy? What team isn't top-heavy? Take take two of the three
3: best guys off any team and see what happens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's so ridiculous. But so, you know, from Annette's perspective, look, James Harden is normally a ridiculously durable player, absurdly durable. Maybe with the hamstring, maybe it was something about the way he went into this season, Right. Maybe it was the way the Nets played him, ridiculously heavy minutes once they got him. Maybe, maybe it was attrition from a short off season. Right? I, I think we don't know. But if you want to speculate on his injury and wonder if there was some, you know, some sort of confounding factors there that had to do with last season, I think that's reasonable. Kyrie stepped on a foot. You know, that was sort of, I think, somewhat dirty play with Giannis slipping under under Kyrie yeah and and so to me that can happen to anybody that has nothing to do with last year this year you know and so I have I mean I think the Nets would rebuild would build this team exactly like this every time they can and and from a league perspective I I understand like what LeBron was saying and it is frustrating seeing players to go down but my problem is you didn't offer a solution And there is no – for me, the NBA did the absolute best job they possibly could have with the hand they were dealt. They were trying to get in the season, trying to get back on track calendar-wise for next season, trying to do as much as they could to keep guys healthy and also restore the product and get guys paid. You know, no player was saying, hey, I'll take – I'll take fifty percent of my salary, and we could do a forty-game season and start in February. You know, no playoffs. Uh, One
2: one thing on that, I I think would have been, I think would have been better than maybe their five-game series in the playoffs across the board up into the finals. But you know what? They're never
3: going to do that, Kerry, because that's where they make their money, television-wise. You know, like I I, I agree, but you, you you're you're not wrong. It would have saved time, but like those are the games where they make their money you know so i i mean the nets would have won the series so that would have been nice but <laughs> a couple things on all that right first of all um the nba didn't make a unilateral decision the
0: nba pa was involved you know that that was part of it and it, you had to deal with tough choices like we all did during this time period circumstances it sucked it, it's common sense that a condensed rest period and schedule would exacerbate injuries that's just common sense, but there are plenty of injuries that happened that weren't a result of that Kyrie's, LeBron's and all that. I mean, Kerry, you've gone on about the the style of play and I agree with you the wear and tear of today's game just in general there are so many explosive movements the probability is just going to get higher something's going to go because you're having to close out Yeah, not
2: sustainable. It's not sustainable. I'm going to argue this down this style of play is too fast for the NBA, but go ahead.
0: But for the Nets, for the Nets specifically, it has nothing to do with the Nets. Kevin Durant Didn't play. You know, know, Kyrie Irving didn't play. Yeah, right.
3: That's (laughs) true. Maybe James
0: Harden. But Kevin Durant feels good enough to play for Team USA this
3: summer. Right. That's actually a great point. Right. They didn't play in the bubble. Durant Durant hadn't played in, you know, a year and a half. And Kyrie didn't play in the bubble either. It's so true. And, you know, I I love – Robin, you've talked about this a lot. Kerry, I love that you're on that point and talked about it a lot also. Like, the way these guys have to close out and cover ground now, it's just – it's ridiculous. It's taxing. And I think that, you know, one thing these playoffs you know, sort of taught me, and I think we saw it a little bit in game one between the Suns um, and the Clippers yesterday, they went much deeper into their benches and with, with minutes and rotations because I think, you know, they went one player deeper because of Paul, right? But like they, they had to sweep. But the Clippers, I think, saw, you know, the way they had to get here and realize, like, I can't get through another seven-game series like this, right? So you, you play with the beginning of it a little bit. But I think my lesson for from a Nets perspective would be, one, I have to, and this is what I'm talking about, the roster construction, right? Because they were built on the fly in the middle of the season without having that much maneuverability, especially with Dinwiddie out. But I have to have options to not play Harden, Kyrie, Durant 40 minutes a night in the regular season, right? I'm going to continue to be very judicious with how I play these guys in back-to-backs. I don't care what – I'm sorry, but the fan reaction, whatever, I'm not pushing it because come the playoffs, I want to be able to play them 40 minutes. But I can't play them 46 except for in those must-win situations, right? I need to have guys who I can throw out there and at least trust to guide the offense somewhat. And look, for them too, one thing, if they're all three of them are healthy, it's a lot easier to rest them because you keep two of them on the floor, you keep one of them on the floor, and the other guys can rest. But attrition was a real thing. And I actually thought about this, guys. Like, if you're not going to win the championship, you're better off losing in the second round this year than you are losing in the finals, right? Like, because assuming that the only thing that satisfies you is a championship, Because otherwise – and this isn't like me excusing the Nets losing. This is me finding silver linings for it happening now rather than, say, in the finals if they had gotten totally burned out and Kyrie didn't come back and whatever else. Because that turnaround is going to be tough because the NBA is getting back on its normal schedule. You're going to have camp in September. I mean, if you're going till mid-July and and then you lose, that's a a quick turnaround for next year too, you know?
2: I'm just concerned as a fan – What's going to happen with the league if you're going to rest these superstars throughout the league because of you know injury prevention as a as a tool to keep these guys healthy? Right, we've seen it for a while now. Ever since the Spurs did it, right back in the day, and you know if you're going to tune into the NBA during the week during a regular season, you know fans aren't going to want to watch Mike <laughs> Mike James play. You don't want to tune into the game or go to the Buckley Center to watch. Kyrie in uniform and on the court, not resting him. So I, I think it's going to be a big problem. I think the TV ratings are going to suffer long-term because of because of rest consistently throughout the NBA. We've seen it with some teams, but now it's going to be every team. You're going to rest Jason Tatum. You're going to rest Jokic. You're going to rest Luka Doncic because you want him to play in the postseason? I mean, that's that's a big problem. They're going to have to address that. I, I, I don't see the, a way out. I'm sorry. I just... You can say, yeah, go deeper down the bench. That's not the answer. That's not the answer long-term, in my opinion.
0: It, it doesn't help put value uh, on the regular season, though you, you watch the, for all the complaining about the injuries, and it's rightfully so. The playoffs have been ridiculously compelling. Amazing, yeah. and, and they
3: were, remain compelling. And the ratings have been great. The, the ratings in these NBA playoffs have been terrific, which I think is interesting because – you know, we've always sort of had this mentality, and maybe it's going to change a little bit now in the semifinals and, and and finals, but we've always had this mentality of like, you know, oh, LeBron's not there, ratings are going to get crushed, or, you know, oh, you know, the Warriors. I mean, the three biggest nationally rated teams this year were the Nets, the Warriors, and the Lakers, by far. And, you know, not having them at this point probably is going to hurt the number a little bit. But I think what we've seen is there's also just an appetite for great series, Right. Like, if you get compelling series and upsets and seven games, the fans are going to be there. And the unexpected nature, which is – unexpected within basketball too, I think has been compelling.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, that's why I said before, if anybody who is working in a way with their brain and not going agenda over everything probably gained respect for the Nets, because it'd be one thing if it was the cheating super team, big three Nets or whatever they they were calling them. It's another thing to see what they they did in in that current form, in that current construct, which will make it more palatable when they're terrifyingly tearing up the league next season. Now, when you, you get to that point, next season Ryan you were texting me before about you know moves they're already making they've got a lot to deal with I mean they got a lot of free agents uh Blake Griffin's still getting paid by the pistons so he might come back on a, a discount uh you got Dinwiddie as a, as a free agent you've got brown to deal with uh you have Joe Harris is probably the most tradable chip coming off of you know performance that didn't exactly endear him to the fan base you know yeah. wh- where what do you see the team doing to get better because you're right you look at You use the Heat as an example,
3: but every super team that's been put together, usually that first year is the weakest year. Right. I I think about it now, guys, like, because Carrie Robin and I were hosting shows at the time for ESPN Radio. And think about that first year Heat team, like who they relied upon. Like, we talk about super teams now. But we don't talk about, like, Joel Anthony having to play massive (laughs) minutes, you know. that, Or Mike Bibby with a giant fork sticking out of his back. Yeah. yeah. Like, (laughs) think about that team their first year, like, you know. And obviously it got better then once they got Ray Allen and and once they got Battier and, and everybody else. When we thought um, Cole, the, the, who was the point? Yeah, Norris Cole, yeah, Norris, Norris Cole. Cole who acted like, <laughs> I remember having a reaction like, oh, it's unfair. They have Norris Cole now because that's how <laughs> good the three guys were together. But I think that my number one priority is if I'm not going to keep Dinwiddie, right? Like I, I think the Nets have to find a way to sort of endear the team Dinwiddie wants to go to and Dinwiddie into a sign and trade and get some assets back because, You know, you're going to be limited with the amount of assets you have. That's one big one. And there's, you know, we've seen in recent years, there's precedent for this where an unrestricted free agent can get a little more money with his incumbent team. And because of that, is able to work something out where he's sort of able to say to the acquiring organization, hey, I want to come there, but I want to come there at this price. So you're going to have to give something. And while Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't, you know, necessarily, have the same sort of um, demand power that Kevin Durant does and getting a first pick back to the, you know, Nets and D'Angelo Russell and that whole facilitation. I I do think that there's something that can be gotten for the Nets. If Dinwiddie's going to leave. Now I'd love to still see Dinwiddie on this team running the second unit, but if that's, if, if Spencer's, you know, hell bent on being a star somewhere else, I think they need to use that because guys, I do think with one thing the Nets definitively need, whether it's in the form of Spencer or someone else is they need a third guard who can break down the defense. And so if Kyrie misses a chunk of time, if Harden misses a chunk of time, it's not all on the other one, right? So they can both be on the bench at the same time for some period of time. That's a priority for me. And then having someone who, you know, and it's hard to say, you know, but somebody who can who can rebound with a with a legit big, but still be versatile enough to play some small ball center, you know, I, I, I don't know who that player is, but those would be kind of my two uh, main priorities for the Nets. And 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 I would, I, for me, I'm bringing back Bruce Brown because I think he fits perfectly with what they do. And he's going to be better with this group than he is anywhere else. So I think it's also advantageous for him right now. Let's say even if he gets four or five million a year here, you know, after playing with these guys, he might be a, a $12 million a year player in two or three years. Right. And then I would bring back Blake too, Blake. Blake was terrific in that series against Milwaukee and he fits perfectly, but I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for someone who can be sort of a more legit center, but also versatile enough to hang in small ball. I don't know who that player is. And then another guard who can break down the defense uh, and, and, and be able to handle the second unit when you don't want Kyrie or Harden to have to. Like we touched on
0: before, Ryan, sometimes, you know, you never know if you'll get back there, and that's a point you could make. I don't think that's the case with this team. That championship window is wide open. I think they they went a long way in, in toward building up goodwill with their, their fan base, and we'll have a lot of fun watching you and others call it next season. We really appreciate you you're coming on and, and, and um, getting it all off, off your chest as, as we
3: are. I still don't
0: have my voice fully
3: back. From here, I see so. that. That means you had a good time at Barclays Center, man. You know what? It's great. These This is therapy sessions for me because the last couple days, it's just been like I think about, oh, my gosh, if Durant was just behind the line. Like, he, he was so close. Or I think about – I think about Joe's three with 57 seconds left in overtime with no one near him on the left (laughs) wing where he never misses a three. Off an offensive rebound, too, totally in rhythm. I literally crumbled to my knees because I knew that was the moment. Or, Or I think about, you know, Nets go up five after the Harden banked in three and then Middleton hits the three on the other end. You know, that's a I know that's a big one for you. Robin. And and one thing I think about, like, should Nash have called the timeout, on, you know, before Durant's final shot at the end of overtime? I think about how they had four straight offensive rebounds after going up two in the beginning of OT and just couldn't score, just ran out of gas. And and then I my my only way is is to say, you know what, I, I can't exactly I can't see the path totally yet, but I know when it happens, I'm going to say, all right. It felt that much sweeter because of this pain. Now, that's what I'm holding on to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's no, that's how we'll end it. Because I hear that all the time. How could you? How could you like this team? You're not even going to feel good
0: about the championship. Well, now I will, buddy. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll exactly. Feel good when, they, when they win the championship. <laughs> exactly. Next now team. you've
3: been through the trials and tribulations. Now, <laughs> now you've earned your stripes. Now to feel that much better. The next stop is our police center.
0: Flatbush Avenue. That does it for season one and episode 27, the Johan Petro edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Catch up on all the episodes of Full Court on Flatbush from season one by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Ludberg thank you for all your support during the first season of the podcast we'll be back with an episode following the NBA draft at the end of July enjoy your summer and stay safe everybody let's go next